Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Boston College 40-14. to Robbie, I am feeling good. Why don't you give us a cheers? I think I have to give the cheers. There's a lot of positive things that happened on the offensive side of the ball, but I think where everybody's concern was what's going to happen with the defense. And they came out. It got a little testy there, but they really clamped down. I know we had some lucky plays and turnovers, things like that, but couldn't be happier with the the defense really turning it around after a tough week. Cheers to that. Yeah, they had a little bit of a bounce back there, and we needed it. Uh, The Hokies moved up a couple spots in the polls. We're now at 19, and like I hinted at last week, NC State was able to hold on and beat Duke, even though they lost their starting quarterback. And now there are six ACC teams ranked in the top 25. Yeah, Clemson at one, Notre Dame at three, Miami's 11, UNC dropped to 14 after their hilarious loss to Florida State. We're at 19, and NC State pops in at 23, taking our on our old spot. So the league at the top has been very competitive. Uh, some of the teams we thought might be good and Pitt and UVA are starting to fall off. Yeah, it unsustainable, I think, and probably is as we are all going to play each other here coming up, us playing Clemson, Miami plays us. It's it's going to get very interwoven, and then you're going to add in right the Big Ten teams. I, I know some of those are already getting voted in, but they're going to start taking off things uh, this upcoming weekend and playing. So we'll we'll see what happens over the course of the year. Yeah, you have UNC taking on NC State this very weekend, and and I liked NC State's chances with Leary, and now uh, that's going to be a much more difficult game for State, but we'll get into that when we do our picks. Let's do the player update. I never got an official number of players out, like the 20, 21, 15, or whatever, but Tenuta was out again. Uh, Diablo came back. We had no Waller, but I think that was because of injury and not covid and Crawford played for the first time in two weeks. So we we're getting a little bit healthier. And if you want to go through the back, because that's where most of it's been, we had Devin Taylor starting at free safety and Murray and strong started at corners. Uh, you didn't have Chapman or Waller in that starting group. Yeah. It sounds like Waller, at least during the press conference with Fuente today, he sounds like he's going to be back this week, uh, for this yeah. upcoming game, which is nice. We also had Trey Turner get a little bit banged up during the game and go out, but it sounds like he's better back up and running and we'll have him back for the upcoming game as well. Yeah. Turner going out of the game. I feel like it had an impact, but, uh, but I didn't even notice during because we've just been running the ball so much. It didn't, didn't really strike me until I, I read about it afterwards. Another news note I wanted to talk about was the world series starts tonight. And, uh, one of our old friends is, is right there in it, the GM of the Rays, Eric Neander. What do you think about that? Man, if I could be that successful at how old he is <laughs> in my life, I think we always joke about that. It would be living living large. So he he's he's killing it, man. What can you say? I know. And I posted the picture to our Twitter account earlier. One of the rare, like, basically Zapruder-level uh, pictures of our trip to Mexico back in 2005, the the week I met Robbie, there's a group of Hokies down taking a spring break trip, and <clears throat> one of the Hokies on that trip was Eric Neander. And, you know, just on a personal note, he was 
an extremely fun guy to be around back in the day. Uh, I haven't talked to him much. You probably talked to him a little bit after college, but it's probably been a while for you too at this point. But you were you were closer with him. Yeah, we we were, and we never kept uh, kept up that much after college, which is unfortunate because. Um, you know, that's the way things go. Some people you keep up with after college, some you don't. But, uh, you know, certainly happy for him. It's awesome. It's really, really yeah. cool. I'm hoping the Rays can can pull it off. The last time the Rays were in the World Series, Eric was working for them. But uh, he was far lower in the organization. It was 2008, and they lost to my Philadelphia Phillies. So now I can root for the Rays. But last time I was, I was definitely going against them. <laughs> Why don't we hop into this game recap and we can start giving our reactions because this was a fantastic game for the Hokies, a fantastic game for the offense. BC started with the ball and they were driving on us, ground, air, whatever, but Diablo made the instant impact coming back with the forced fumble. That led to the long field goal try by Johnson and Miz that ended his streak. And on BC's next drive, they were moving again and they had a miscommunication in the backfield that led to a fumble. Uh, We had to settle for a field goal attempt yet again and finally made it 3-0 to get on the board after the two turnovers. BC scored on a TD on their next drive and they actually took the lead 7-3. That was on the pass to Gill. We responded with a four-play drive where Hooker bulldozed into the end zone. Uh, he had already had a 31-yard run on the drive, but that bulldozed in the end zone. That's what you like to see from your starting QB. Yeah, he went through like a battering ram. And... When BC scored that and it went 7-3, I got a little bit shaky, and it was off a pass from uh, Dracovic, which is what we were worried about. And then for them to go down on four plays and score was was huge. Yeah, it really was. We got another turnover on BC's next drive. That was on the interception by Taylor. Terrible throw by Dracovic on that one. That led to a TD before the half. This time it was on the screen pass to Herbert. Again, just a gorgeously laid out screen pass. And and Herbert, he made it look effortless getting into the end zone. So it's 17-7 to at the half. Uh, we went three and out to start the second half. And after the punt, BC won 80 yards, 12 plays, scored on the 20-yard pass to Long to make it 17-14. And again, it's like every time these guys didn't turn the ball over, they were moving on us. It was making me nervous. It was. And, you know, the uh... Luckily for us, they did uh, manage to turn the ball over quite a few times. So <laughs> We responded to that score, six plays, 79 yards, had the long run by Herbert, and we scored on the five-yard run by Hooker. There were no passes on the drive. BC fumbled again on their next drive, this time forced by Connor. That led to the field goal to put us up 27-14. Started to feel a little like a runaway. We scored again on the 28-yard run by Blackshear was a really nice run. He he might be starting to heat up. We got an interception from Murray and added one more touchdown in the fourth quarter. That was on the 17-yard spinning run by Hooker. Just the the exclamation point of the night. Foo didn't let off the gas. Hokies win 40 to 14. It was it was an awesome game and I'll give you my story and then I want to get your reaction. I thought the story of the game were the turnovers and the excellence this time of Hendon Hooker. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. The turnovers, which the turnover luck is a thing. So that's not going to happen every single game. We got lucky and we got the ball back. They they got the ball down into the red zone on a few of those instances where we got we got pretty lucky. So that you know made the score look a little bit more lopsided than I think maybe the play was. I think BC played a better game than it would have shown in the box score. But that and then Hedden and Hooker coming out and just having a 
an absolute field day. He really did. And it wasn't his passing. And he was good passing, but it was his rushing. I mean, 164 yards rushing, 111 passing, four total touchdowns for our quarterback, my quarterback, the podcast quarterback, the guy we wanted to start as soon as he was healthy. Uh, You know why? Because he had seven touchdowns in the six quarters he's played so far. Virginia Tech is scoring almost 12 points a quarter when he's playing. So it's a very good thing. He's back. He's healthy. And he might be healthier than he ever was last year. And those physical runs, the shake and bake that he's showing, he looks confident and he looks like he wants to take on a hit. I agree. I think towards the end of that game, I don't know necessarily we wanted him to be out there maybe taking all of those hits. So I know quite True. a few people. I'm I'm wishy-washy on that concept because I do think he got a lot of good reps and, you know, he has been out for a bit. So I think those reps are important as we continue to move through the ACC play. But I was a little nervous, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, anytime your quarterback's taken what is it, 18 carries or something like that he had yeah, 18 um that's that's a lot you don't you don't want it to be that high but it, it's in his hands you know that is literally the rpo and he was seeing that the defense was keying on herbert and he kept it a lot and guess what it was great he was getting like eight nine yards of play every time he kept it uh and i was impressed with with uh how spry he did look on the runs, his his papa speed and the way he was able to shake some tacklers, even in the backfield, like when he almost got sacked a couple times, he got away from guys. Yeah, he had defensive linemen with their arm wrapped around his neck. On the one, it almost looked like the defender was going to pull his helmet off. That's how he grabbed, <laughs> and he still got away and scampered. I think that was for an eight-yard gain on that play, but he had 18 carries, To your point, Herbert also had 18 carries, 143 yards for Herbert. Uh, Hooker had 164 on the ground. So those two are just gelling. 7.9 per carry and 9.1. It's a a real two-headed monster. And Blackshear, he even had three carries for 33 yards. I mean, 11 yards a, a pop, but it's just overshadowing by what these other guys are doing. Yeah, and I like I said in the recap, Blackshear is getting closer, I think, to making the impact that we kept hearing about in camp. I think he's been dealing with one COVID, two the practice time, and three perhaps like a nagging injury. So I think we're getting close with Blackshear, but you can't argue with what we're doing on the offense, period. 350 yards rushing. I think that's the most since we've been in the ACC. And over 300 for the third time this season already. We only had twice before an ACC play gone over 300 yards before this year. And now we've done it three times. Uh, 8.23 is the third highest single game performance in terms of yards per play in Fuente's tenure. Uh, And one of those two, I think, was against William & Mary. And the other one was NC State. So we are, this offense is just clicking on all cylinders and it's going even better with Hennon Hooker behind center. I think we are the highest percentage of rushing plays to pass us if in the whole country. We might be behind maybe like Air Force or something along those, but I think it's 68%. And I think on The Athletic, there was an article talking about the transition in the SEC to what the percentages were of them passing versus the old SEC kind of 
late mid to 2000s when they were just running the ball and it was just old school football. And I think Alabama now has it where they're they're passing or they're they're only rushing the ball I think 48% of the time. So just to give you an idea of where Virginia Tech is, we are we're running the ball a lot. So we'll have to see how that rounds out because I do think we're going to need the pass game to complement what we have going on. As as much fun as it is to watch them run down everybody's throat, there there are going to be teams that'll find a way to stop that or shut it down a little bit more. Just to give the final numbers on Herbert, 143 yards, uh, 29 receiving yards, and a receiving touchdown on that screenplay. Uh, it's his fourth 100-yard game in a row. That hadn't happened since David Wilson when he did seven in a row. The 9.7 yards per carry on the season, that's the best average of any ACC running back through the first four games since 2000. And I got that number from Andrew Alex on Twitter. Uh, but basically since 2000 through four games and he hasn't played any of the cream puffs that a lot of the other guys he's competing competing with had played that 9.7 yards per carry for Herbert uh is the best in, in 20 years well in, uh, 148 go- rush yards per game is first nationally and his 240 all-purpose yards per game also first nationally he's good well I think the, the funniest number is when you go back to Wilson and what he did in that four-game stretch. I think it was 2011. Uh, I thought the craziest stat there was that Wilson did those 593 yards. It's 592 for uh, Herbert. But Wilson's was around 80 carries. Herbert's was on 61 carries. Yeah. That is incredible. <laughs> that is amazing. Because Wilson himself was a freak of nature who we we thought was unstoppable and the the difference is this offensive line is is way better this week it was Nestor getting the credit from pff on the offensive line every week it's a new guy of the five uh or the six whatever because we have to have some guys coming in when tanuta goes out and you you take out a guy who earns pff honors and you bring in another it's an incredible line and you've got the perfect running back and perhaps the perfect quarterback now in hooker to just make it go and we talked about it over texas week we really need to start just don't worry about next year don't worry about recruiting just watch and enjoy these games because this is special what virginia tech is doing on on the offensive side of the ball right now yeah and it's hard to give enough props to the offensive line and what they're doing and how much recognition they're getting and how different it is for many years of what we experienced as a part of Virginia Tech football and what has been, had become a new normal that we weren't, weren't very happy about. But what's even more incredible, as good as it's, it seems at times, is the offensive linemen are getting so far down field blocking people. It's incredible. I don't know who it was that had the block where he actually hit the guy three different times. Three blocks, and then the def- defenseman by the end was in the end zone. Right when Herbert was running behind him, it, they are they don't quit. They just keep going, keep bulldozing people because they want to put people on their on their ass. And and the offense, if it's not elite, it's bordering on elite. Forty two points per game in two thousand. That was largely considered our best offensive team. Uh, Michael Vick's second year. We were at 40 points per game, 
And, and I don't know if the 42 is going to going to stick, but it gives you an idea of where we're at. And we're second nationally in rush yards per game as a team and second in rush average. I don't think that's going anywhere. Like what the teams we have coming up, what they do on the defensive side of the ball, uh, we're going to be able to keep running. And even if it gets slowed down a little bit, what is it going to drop to 200 rather? I mean, we would have killed for 200 yards a couple years ago on the ground from our running backs. I think it will come down a little bit back to earth. I hope that it does not, but I think it's going to be effective throughout the season. Let's flip over to the defense before we give our closing thoughts on the game. I, like we talked about right off the top, we had a little bit of a rebound after the disastrous performance against UNC. The secondary in particular, going up against Jerkovic, we knew it was going to be a challenge. They held him to his lower lowest passer rating of the season at 116. I didn't think that would happen, to be, to be perfectly honest. I, I thought he'd at least throw up a 120, a 130, yeah. who knows. But the five turnovers didn't help. And yeah, you you referenced the luck that's involved in turnovers. But two of the fumbles were punch outs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a credit to the defense. And the one interception, it was a the one was really bad. So let's let's that's lucky or just a bad play by the offense. But the second one, it got tipped up in the air because of good defense, and then Murray picked it off. So we deserve some credit for the turnovers as well. And I do think the guys uh came in with a chip on their shoulder after last week and wanted to prove like this, it didn't help them that much in the beginning of the game, but towards the end of the game, we really started getting our legs underneath us. Yeah. And we held them to 90 yards rushing, which we, we knew this team was BC going to be able to pass the ball better on, on us. And we had a feeling that the rushing attack for them is struggling this year. It has been, but to hold Jerkovic to 28 for 51 granted it was 345 yards but two picks and two two touchdowns that's a good day for the the depth that we have in that backfield and the amount of reps that those guys have have got so i mean 14 points uh, i know that simplifies it but like that's what matters right mm-hmm. this defense they bent and they bent many times but largely they didn't break and they made some adjustments throughout. Um, overall, we had the six tackles for loss, just one sack. We we had solid pressure, but we couldn't, we couldn't get to Jerkovic. He was doing a good job of getting rid of the football. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had some nice performances and some guys that throughout the game, I thought got stronger and better. And most notably Diablo, because he did have the one forced fumble. He gave the defense a boost, in my opinion. The five tackles, the one TFL. He he grabbed Zay Flowers uh, and wrapped him up yep. in the open field. Uh, he had a pass breakup, and he shadowed Long later in the game. That's something that French pointed out in his article, that we started basically following Hunter Long around, and it was pretty effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely was. It, it, getting Diablo back is huge for this defense, I think it's also important, and I think it came up today, of even Ashby, his stats are not good. But Fuente has said that when they're reviewing film, they feel like he's playing at like a pretty good level right now. It's not all coming together, but you think he, he said from the film, he's generally doing what they want him to be doing. And I think that's also, he's the puppet strings on, on the defense. So even if he's not impacting it necessarily with numbers, or if he's making some 
some bad calls or some bad taking bad angles, he's definitely having a big influence on this this defense. And I think Diablo is as well. I'm just glad he's back. Yeah, definitely glad Diablo's back. I, with Ashby, I'm not quite sure what what's going on. If it's just conditioning, if it's the scheme change, if it's both, or like, is there something mental going on? But he doesn't, you definitely have to agree, there's not quite the same pop there, the same quite pursuit to the football. And I think, what, he had two tackles in this one or something like that? That's yeah. yeah. That's not like him, you know? And, and there's plenty of good guys to talk about, but I did kind of want to just get your thoughts on the Ashby thing. And, and hey, if, if Fuente's saying that, uh, I'll take his word for it. Yeah, I, I, there's something missing, but you know, I don't I don't know enough. And the people that I do read that write a lot about this team that know way more about football are saying, and French in particular has said, and his some of his articles. If you haven't seen them, go go read about them. That you know, he doesn't think people understand how different this scheme really is to who these types of players are and what they were recruited into and maybe what they're having to, to, to learn how to do now. I have to take people that know as much as he does at their, at their, at their word that it's that difficult to make a pivot. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Some other bright spots I had were uh, Barno seems to be getting more comfortable. Uh, he had two tackles for loss at the half sack, the fumble recovery. And that's a huge bonus for our team. Just, him in general, because I really didn't expect him to be a big contributor this year. I, I thought he was still in the project phase, and I, and I think that he is. And that's what the good news is, because I think his ceiling is still way higher. And he leads the team right now with five tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. Uh, he also made a nice open field tackle at one point in the backfield. Um, that that size and, and his length, like, it's, it's exciting. Uh, I thought... Tisdale showed some really good pursuit to the football. And to me, Alan Tisdale is, I just wish he had had a full off season in the weight room because I think, I think he's, he's a little wiry, but he is a good football player. Yeah. And I think we have a lot of guys like that. I mean, it's between Tisdale and Chapman. These guys are still playing effective, but you can see in the defense that there's key cogs that are missing that would have been solved by having Hunter and Farley and things would have looked a lot better thus far. And we have Waller still out. It's, it's tough. You can look at this defense and say they put in a incredible effort from what it could have been in comparison to the week before, but it has a ways to go. Absolutely. It does. Connor led the way with 11 tackles, and he had one of the forced fumbles. Dorian Strong is another guy I wanted to bring up because he had a nice game, and he's a true freshman playing corner. I feel like that's an extremely difficult position to just come in and play, and he was recruited by no one, essentially. I mean, if you look at his 247 page, there's one other offer, and it's from Delaware State. That's an FCS school. And it's not a good FCS school. So this was a home run evaluation by our coaches because this guy looks like he's the the next corner for, for DBU. And if Waller can get healthy and you have Armani Chapman and you have Murray and you have Strong, 
you're going to have something. You're going to have some corners you can rely on. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's it's tough to say that about a true freshman this early on, but some of the plays he made covering Zay Flowers, like I was I was impressed. And French pointed out uh, a little bit of that, some stuff about Dax and how Dax looked better in this game, a lot better in this game, liked his effort much more than the UNC game. And he praised a lot of the backups in his article, Fuga, Barno, uh, DeBose, uh, and they – they set the tempo for a better second half, as he put it. Well, think about somebody like Strong, and I'm glad that you brought him up. That guy didn't have camp. I mean, that is on top of being that green and coming in and having to learn to play that position at now a very elite level. You're doing it without having spring ball, which is mind-blowing to think about. Yeah, it really is. One more note, uh, BC did convert a lot of their third and fourth downs, and I think if that that kind of killed us. If we had been able to get off the field a little bit more, I don't even think they would have broken 400 yards. Mm-hmm. Like They had some a couple penalty calls, a couple long third downs that you know we should have had them dead rights, and for whatever reason, we, we couldn't catch them. But, uh, but yeah, that's something going forward. Like We need to get off the field on third down. This isn't a defense that can afford – to be a 50%, 60% giving up you know, conversions on third down. I would totally agree with that. That is one area that I think we got bailed out by some some of the, and I know you mentioned you know when we punch the ball out, things along those lines, but every week we're going to have to continue to, to improve. That is a huge jump from the way that we saw the defense play against UNC to what we just watched against BC, and you hope that each week it's going to get that much better. I agree, man. Let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor. Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer, we talk about them every week, and that's because they are the best beer stores in the Northern Virginia and DMV area. Our buddy Arash is at both locations fairly often. If you see him, make sure to say hello, but he's been impressed with the amount of Hokies that have been coming into the store these past couple weeks. And if you are in there, make sure, try to take some time because you want to make sure you can sit, maybe have a beer. You can bring food in to downtown Crown Wine and Beer. And Dominion has their own kitchen and has a a great menu. I told you last week how I was down there and the amount of craft beers they have to offer, their social media presence, the curbside pickup, in some cases, I think Arash had the delivery going from downtown Crown. So they try to accommodate all of their customers in whatever way they can. And those stores are run better than just about any other beer store I've ever been in. Yeah, it's great for if you want to swing in, just do a quick pickup if you want to go in and get beers. But I would encourage people to make it a destination spot, to go there and kind of knock out two birds with one stone. Go have fun, grab some food, grab some beer, and then on your way out, pick up some stuff for home and and for the game this this upcoming weekend. That's right, because on Saturday, our game against Wake Forest is at 3.30 p.m. Maybe you stop by the Dominion tent, you get the bartender to throw the game on the TV. I'll, you know, I'll send Arash a text this week to make sure he has the tech game on inside the tent at 3.30 on Saturday. Um, but yeah, man, it's great setup. Uh, they they are the best, and and we'll uh, we'll keep pumping their stuff every week on here. For now, why don't you tell me what you're drinking, Robbie? So I went with the 
Stone and Joy Buy. I've had this on the podcast, but they always come out with new versions of it. It's always got a date on it. This one is obviously October. They put it in a can. It was funny. I got this at Whole Foods. I had already had some last week, but I went to Whole Foods and the can is upside down. So they printed it on upside down, the whole label and everything. So when I walked into Whole Foods, I had already known that. And I was looking at the shelf of what I was going to drink for the podcast. And it was right side up. So the they didn't know it was upside down. So they had loaded <laughs> all of the cans in upside down. So they were all sitting on their tops. So I pulled it off. It's The enjoy buys are always great. They put the date on there because you're supposed to have it fresh, drink it before then. And this one's no different than than a lot of their others. It's it's great. I I really enjoy it. Stone Brewing. Everybody knows them, but it's a great beer. It's funny too because they ruined the whole concept behind that by putting it upright. Because I think the idea was print the label upside down. When people put it on the shelf, they're gonna notice it because yeah. it's upside down. Like, oh, what's that beer? I'll, I'll grab that one. <laughs> exactly. And it's got. I think they also did it because it's got this whole Halloween theme on it. So it's looks kind of Jack or Jack o' Lantern ish. So they're. It was kind of being funny that they were going to print it all upside down, Halloween spooky kind of thing, and a it loose, was ruined. A loose reference to uh, Stranger Things, perhaps, the upside down? It, it could be. <laughs> might be. I am drinking the Aleworks Brewing Company Hazy Folk. I think this is a beer they brewed for the Richmond Folk Festival because that symbol is on the bottom of the can. But 6.6% alcohol, hazy IPA, absolutely delicious and i've i haven't had a whole lot of ale works uh but the ones that i have had have been excellent and i'm gonna do like i mentioned last week i'm gonna do their pumpkin latte later this episode uh but this one the hazy folk uh, if you can still get it i got it at dominion go and check if they have it because it's awesome just like last week before we get into wake forest i wanted to just talk about some of the ranks that where we're coming in we're 21st in the S&P Plus this week. I think that's up from 25 last week. But the big move was in offense. We're 16th in SP Plus offense. I can't remember us having an offense that high as long as I've been looking at the SP Plus, which might only be like six or seven years, but that's still a long time. I recall when we used to be in the 60s and 70s, and we were hoping if we could ever just cut that in half that we'd be able to play pretty well. Yeah. And there are less teams playing, but the SP plus has all 127 teams ranked. So that number is out of 127 for the big 10 teams and the PAC 12 teams that is based on last year. And as the season wears on, you know how bill will slowly, but surely move out the preseason biases, but it is out of 127. So that 16 is legit. Uh, we're seventh in yards per play, and that's out of 76, but that's 7.31, 18th in points per drive. And I think that's a that's an interesting category that takes out whether teams have been, you know, scoring on defense or scoring on a kick return. It tells you, you know, the real deal of where they're coming in. And 18th, top 20 in yards per drive. I will take that. And then finally, the Massey composite, something we both like, like to look at. And even that's a little askew because of, some some computer polls are ranking teams, some aren't, but we're 11th. 11th in the Massey Composite. Again, a number that 
we haven't seen in a long time. I would just add that I think Bill C. even put out his top five defenses and top five offenses that eliminated the preseason rankings in them to look at what your performance has mm-hmm. been on the field. And Virginia Tech was among that top five uh, in wow. in there. So that's that's just looking at the teams and what they've done on on the field this, so far this year. That's that's just unbelievable to think about. It really, it really is. Well, let's move on to Wake. And last year, this was the team that was seven and one coming into Blacksburg, the Bud Foster like honoring game, and it was a big game. They were number twenty two in the AP poll at the time. And we had not beaten a ranked team at home since 2009, before last year. It was a full decade. And we beat their ass. <laughs> we won 36-17. to 17. It wasn't particularly close. And since that game, Wake has really, they fell off. They're 3-6 and six since that game, and, and one of those wins was against Campbell. <laughs> so it hasn't been a good ride for them lately. It's been a bit of a struggle. They did come off, uh, you know, a decent win, I would consider it, against UVA. But Campbell... No doubt. Campbell, yeah. before that, I think I heard in one of the recaps, they just started a scholarship program. They didn't have <laughs> that prior to this season, I don't believe. But it was a, a good game against UVA. Yeah, without a doubt. They lost Jamie Newman, their starting quarterback. He left for uh, UGA, Georgia, and then opted out. And their top four targets... Uh, their receiving targets, wide receiver and tight end, top four guys are all gone. So they're fairly depleted on the offensive side of the ball. They do have a solid quarterback in Sam Hartman, and he actually played the year before Jamie Newman's starting year, I think because Newman was hurt, uh, as a true freshman. Sam Hartman played. He's only a redshirt sophomore now, but two years ago he played a lot of football. Yeah, he's been – He's been okay this year. So he's throwing 62%, 62 out of 100, go figure. Pretty easy math there. Just under 900 yards, but he only has three TDs. He doesn't have any interceptions, but it's been slow off off the start for him so far. Yeah, he's gotten better every year. Like even last year when, when Newman was playing the majority of the snaps, uh, he got to play a, a little bit when he got when Newman got hurt or at the end of games, and every year his passer rating has jumped about ten points, and so this year he's at I think one forty six. That's that's solid. It's not amazing, but the sixty nine QBR that's about what Jerkovic was coming into last week's game. He's good. I mean, he's a good quarterback. Sixty two percent completion, not a lot of production, but he doesn't have almost any weapons i mean he's he's got a lot of young guys he's having to deal with uh but the running game i think there are some some good guys in their backfield yeah there's not much from a receiver standpoint that gets you too frightened you have robinson who's got 20 receptions for about 314 he only has one td reception again this ties back to to what hartman's stats are looking like but he did put up 126 against uva and UVA's defense is obviously you know, better than their their offense. They have Perry, who had a nice TD on a 40-yard catch against UVA. That was a nice nice play. And then 
it's really just four guys, Robinson, Perry, Green, and Morn is all they have. And that's really the only guys that have been getting much in terms of touches, at least from the wide receiver position. But And Green and Morin, they're freshmen. Yeah. I mean, they, they're having to rely on very young guys. And Green is, I think, more of that deep threat. He's at about 20 yards per catch, which is nice. Uh, 15 catches for Morin. And so he's kind of, I think... The possession guy, the slot guy, he's smaller. I think he's about 175. Like he he's he's young. I mean, he, right. like I said, he's a freshman. Um, and you mentioned Perry, and he's the big target. He's six foot five, two twelve, and he had he did have that touchdown. He's got 13 receptions on the year. Robertson is the only one that would, I guess, strike fear into your into your team um with the 20 receptions. That uh, he's he's getting thrown to a lot. And the one thing that Hartman has going for him in general is even though he's throwing to these young guys, he doesn't throw a lot of picks. Over his career, he's 23-8 and eight, you know, TDs to picks, and he has none this year. So he's not prone to turning it over. Kenny Walker in the backfield and Beale Smith are the ones that, hey, we saw our run defense against UNC, so we don't want a repeat of that with these two guys. And Walker... I think last week PFF had him as the most yards after contact, like 121 yards after contact. So he's a muscled up kind of runner. And he kind of has, reminds me body type wise of like LaShawn McCoy, not like huge, but definitely like a quick guy, pretty good size and can, can definitely break a few tackles. Yeah. And they're getting the ball to, to both of those guys. So one's got 380, the other one's got 260 yards. One has seven TDs, and then um, Beal Smith has four TDs, and they don't turn the ball over either. So I think they, on the season, they have no interceptions, as we just talked about, and then they only have one fumble lost. So talk about the opposite of what we just experienced <laughs> with the BC game. This is a team that does not, you know, does not, you know, shoot themselves in the foot. And that's... That's, I guess, some of Dave Clawson, but also luck. Like we said going into BC, I think I said in our keys to the game, BC was eighth in turnover margin going into last week. Didn't prevent them from turning it over five times. These things have a way of regressing to the mean, and Wake is second currently in the country in turnover margin. They're plus two per game. So maybe we will be, again, on the receiving end of a little bit of luck. And But I think we do need to make our own luck. And this offensive line is going to allow us to do so. Wake's offensive line, 74th out of 77 in sacks per game. They're giving up a sack every eight pass attempts, actually less than every eight pass attempts. So we absolutely, if we can't get sacks on this team, we might not get sacks on anybody else. I don't know what happened to the sacks we were seeing in weeks one and two. I want those back because the last two weeks, I think we've gotten two combined. And so we we really need to get after the quarterback in this one, put some pressure on Hartman, try to get his first interception of the season because this offensive line is it's right up there with Syracuse as the worst in the conference. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a big opportunity for us and one that we have to take advantage. We did get some pressure the past two games, but as you said, we're not really taking down the quarterback and we're not really turning it into to what we need. And this offensive line is is suspect. That's also part of the reason I think Hartman's numbers are not gaudier than they, they probably could be with his talent level is, you know, he's, he's under fire 
yeah. as you said, 14 <laughs> sacks. Yeah. <laughs> so he's taking he's taking a lot of heat. Uh, but they they do like to run it. They give Walker and Beal an average of 30 carries a game combined. So they they do like to give those guys the ball. And I, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the rushing attack because we showed a little bit of not good tackling against BC, and we showed a lot of poor run defense against UNC. I don't think we're ever going to see anything as quite as bad as UNC again this year. I mean, God forbid. But we still, we saw BC even move the ball on the ground against us early in that game. And we don't want that to happen because Walker is very, very capable. Uh, I I think their O-line ultimately will hold them back. And I'm hoping to get some, some pressure in this one. Let's move over to their defense. They're 61st in the S&P plus on defense, 43rd in yards per play. So it's it's a bottom half of FBS and, and maybe, maybe the worst defense we've faced so far this year. That bodes well for our running game. They play a 4-2-5. They have like a rover, a strong safety, and a free safety in their lineup. And you can see that if you go to their DBs. It's I mean, there are so many DB names on this team. It's it's unbelievable. I, you have the key names like Zion Keith and Trevon Red, um, Taylor. But then it, then you start getting into guys who like couldn't play last year because of injury, like Masterson, Anderson, Williams, Green, Carson. I, it was endless. Were you finding that too when you're going through the sets? Yeah, absolutely. And you can tell by as as you said, six interceptions they forced, three forced fumbles, and they're they're playing well. Obviously, on the front end, you got Boogie Basham, defensive end. He's an absolute monster. So it's 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 a strange group. There's a ton of names and a lot of. Granted, I would say people that are trying to get up to speed on Virginia Tech are probably thinking the same thing, <laughs> coming to this year, going look at look at all look at all these starters. Yeah. Who are these guys? People are probably going through their Athlon like, who's Matheny? Why does he have 14 <laughs> tackles? He wasn't even he didn't even have a single tackle last year. But that that's what what Wake had, and I guess some of that was they had some COVID problems. I, I they had to have their game canceled against Notre Dame. Yep. They also played a ton of backups in that Clemson game. Like that, the stats from the Clemson game you might as well throw out right. because the game was over at halftime. Both teams put in all of their backups. So that that's another reason we're seeing so many names. But when you look at the defense for Wake, it, it, it starts up front. That is where their top six guys all came back. I think one of their defensive tackles in Tyler Williams, I think he was hurt. But otherwise, all the guys have pretty much been playing. And that's why it was so surprising in week one, or I guess it was week two, the week after they played Clemson, why they got mauled by NC State on the ground. I mean, NC State was pushing them around. They threw up 45 points on Wake with their backup quarterback, Bailey Hockman, who a week later we made look horrible. So I don't know which Wake defense we're going to get. Are we going to get the one that really you know, stuck it to UVA this past weekend? Or are we going to get the one that got mauled by NC State and Clemson? I don't know, and and it's confusing because they have a lot of experience on the front four. They're two linebackers, and the back end, I mean, five of their top seven tacklers are DBs. I think you brought up a great point, which is you really have to throw out the Clemson game, throw out the Campbell game. You really only have two data points to work off of, which is 
anomaly against NC State and then the UVA game, which they held them to, to 23. Wake was able to to play them well. So I don't know what we're going to get from them. I think we are largely going to have our way. If you look at the S&P Plus, if you look at yards per rush, 57th in yards per rush, they're giving up 200 rushing yards a game, essentially, Wake is. So I feel pretty good about Khalil Herbert, Blackshear, Hooker, doing their thing on the ground. And I, I jokingly said on Twitter, I like, we got to 350. When's the 400 game coming? <laughs> and and there are a few opponents that it could happen against, but Wake might be one of them. <laughs> well, it, some of the feedback that we heard from the team and from Fuente himself coming out of that BC game is they felt like they still left points out there. And they thought they had plays that they could have made. And I think uh, that was echoed by a bunch of the players when they talked about it as well. So that's, I think we should be able to to have our way in on the offense. I think their offense, I'm a little bit worried if with only those two data points that we're really focused in on Walker had 128 against UVA and he had 131 against NC state. So yeah, he, you know, he, he played pretty the well. The UVA number is alarming. Yeah. Because we know that defense was supposed to be pretty solid. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure quite what happened on that one. But I remember watching Walker in the NC State game, and, and he is a he's a very, very good and dynamic player. So um, I think both teams are going to be able to move the ball on the ground, I, I think. So let's do let's do our keys to the game, and then we'll take a beer break. And I know you started last time, so so I'll get us going. Uh, I kind of already hinted at like the need for the pass rush to to get up in this game. We need someone to step up and put some pressure on Sam Hartman. If we can get to him, there is no way they're going to be able to hang with us points wise. Because our our team, with what Hooker's doing, what Khalil Herbert's doing, we're going to get to thirty. And I think if we are able to put just a little bit of pressure on Hartman, we'll keep him under that number. The other thing is in this game, more than any other game, if you can get a quick lead on this team and make them throw the whole time, like they will have no shot because they just, they do not have the weapons. Even BC has, let alone UNC. Yeah. I totally agree with that. That getting pressure, potentially forcing an interception, forcing a fumble here or there would be, really good but if we can get out to a 10 point lead in you know the first quarter early second quarter i think that's going to put a lot of pressure on them with how dynamic our offense is and honestly we haven't really been if you think about some of the plays we haven't really been eating clock with our our rushing attack because it's been so effective it's been <laughs> yeah. four plays touchdown and the so it's not your stereotypical rush offense that is you know really Grinding eating up clock. clock. It's it's too it's almost too quick for that. Yeah, it 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 kind of has been. Uh I think they'll put up yards for sure, maybe 350, maybe 400 total, but I think we're going to make some big defensive plays in this game. We saw the punch outs, we saw some nice tackles in the open field. I think this might be the game where an opportunity for a uh, special teams touchdown, a defensive touchdown, something like an extracurricular touchdown we are due for. Yeah. And so I, I kind of feel like that could happen in this game. And we, more than anything else, uh, 
need to avoid the letdown. It's something I had talked to you about. We saw it in the 2016 season when we started to play really well. We went up to the Carrier Dome and we laid an egg. And later in the year, we had a chance to lock up the Coastal and we laid an egg. And that's what we need to avoid. We're on the road and it might just be Winston-Salem and it might be no fans, but it's still a road game. And this is a keep focused moment because you were in the middle of this run now where you're playing teams that you should beat. I mean, we should beat without a doubt. We should beat Wake. We should beat Louisville and we should beat Liberty. You got to avoid the letdown. I think it really starts with the offensive line, given how mature they are and how deep we are. It's on them to really continue doing what they have done every all, you know, all four games that we've had, they've done it and they need to do it again this week is really set that tone of we're going to we're going to bully you around and set it early. And and they've done a great job of it. They they set it going into last week and I don't think and and this is my counter to all that. It's like I don't think this is a team right now that's ready for a letdown. That Syracuse game, <laughs> I told you that was a 19 point spread. You know, we were big favorites. The Georgia Tech game, I think we were 12, 13 point favorites. This one has gone from about seven when it opened to now it's 10, but that's still not a massive number. And it was 13 last week. It grew a bunch during the week. Uh, This team, I don't think is the big headed kind of team, especially when you start from the top down and you start with Hendon Hooker. Like he is just, I've said it before. He just doesn't seem like you can rattle him. And so I feel good about going down there and taking care of business and maybe not laying the smackdown on Wake, but winning comfortably and perhaps covering the spread. I don't think this is a game where I necessarily am anticipating or really will walk away feeling like if we don't lay a smackdown, it's disappointing. It's, it's tough. All these ACC games with really no break – is is brutal on the players so any week you you really got to be ready to for somebody to get lucky somebody to keep it close somebody to have a good day and if we come out of this with you know a seven point win i'm going to be extremely happy I, I just think this is a this is a tough spot especially where it lands on the season and that wake now also has some momentum coming off of that uva game but I would always rather play a team coming off a quasi unexpected win yeah. than a tough loss because you know the coaches after a tough loss are in your ass all week. Yeah. And so not that Wake is getting a big head either. I just think you'd always rather play a team coming off a nice win. And so both teams are in both teams are probably feeling decent about themselves and we'll just have to battle that, those road conditions and in a scary Winston-Salem, and I think we'll be able to pull off a nice win. And, hey, this could go the same way as the BC game. You see the line rise all week, and we go down there and we win by 25 points. Like That that could easily, easily happen. Based on what I'm seeing on this rush defense, I, I don't want to say I'm not afraid because as the week goes on, I know I will become fearful. Road games are always scary, but I do feel like this team is is built differently, man. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's take a beer break before we move on to the picks. What are you having over there? Well, I'm having another Aleworks. I'm having that pumpkin latte. Let me get a little sip here. Oh, yeah. 
That's that's tasty. It's got a little bit of the coffee in it, and that is that is the latte, I guess, in there. It is a spiced amber ale brewed with coffee, and their traditional pumpkin beer or pumpkin ale from Ale Works was one of my favorites. I've only had it a few times because I don't live in the state, but when I have had it, like I said before, it was always t- at the top or the tops on my pumpkin beer list. This pumpkin latte, I cracked one a few days ago, thought it was delicious. Tonight, it's uh, on the podcast, after you've been talking for a while and take a sip of beer, I feel like you always taste the beer just like a little bit more intimately than you would if you're, you know, having chips and dip on a Saturday or something like that. But man, it is it is so full of flavor. You can taste the coffee. You can taste the pumpkin. Uh, it is excellent. And I didn't doubt that it would be good, but the two Ale Works beers I've had tonight knock it out of the park. This pumpkin latte is 7.3% alcohol, so it's definitely got got a little bit of a kick to it. And it is the kind of pumpkin beer where I don't want to have two or three in a row. I kind of want to have one and then move on to something else, but it is very, very good. What are you having? I'm having the three-notched Ghost of the James APA, an American Pale Ale. It's 5.1%. It's got its kind of spooky theme uh, for, I'm imagining they put this out because I hadn't seen it before for Halloween with the the skull on it and the the James uh, kind of riverboat on there. It's it's okay. It, it It's not all that flavorful. It's hard to pick out any notes in particular that I like. It's only 5.1%. It's an APA, which obviously is going to be lower IBU. So it doesn't have a lot of punch to it. And coming off of, you know, a stoned, uh, stone beer that has a ton of flavor that melded out a little bit, but it's, it's a good kind of session beer. I would, I would probably have a couple of them and, and mix them in if I'm, if I'm having a couple high ABV beers later on, this would be a nice primer for it. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink a ton of it. It's, it's okay. These picks tonight, man. We've got a lot of ACC games to pick, and then the Big Ten is back. So I felt obligated to throw in a Big Ten game in the picks list, and there weren't a lot of great games to choose from. I considered Penn State, Indiana, only because I kind of like Indiana on the money line in that game. Uh, Ohio State, who are they playing? Is it Nebraska? I believe I I, that's right. I got to take another look, but we're going to pick the Michigan-Minnesota game in a few picks, but a lot of intriguing ACC games. The first one we're going to do is the rivalry game I talked about at the beginning. NC State at UNC. In the standings, this game means something for us because we'd like to see UNC take that second loss because right now they've got the tiebreaker over us, even though they embarrassed themselves and got their pants pulled down in Tallahassee last week, which I absolutely loved. I'm going to take NC State here. I think UNC is going to pull out the W, especially in a rivalry game, but 16 and a half is... Yeah, the line 16 and a half. I don't think I said that, but yes. It's a lot of points. That's a lot of points. So I could see NC State... They were starting to get a little bit of momentum here uh, so far in comparison to what, what they showed us in week one. So I think they can keep it within, you know, call it 10, somewhere around there, maybe 14. Yeah, they're going to put Hockman back in at quarterback. That's what, At least that's what I assume. And because he came in at the end of the game last week and won it for him with, against Duke. And no, he's not nearly as good as Devin Leary, but I think at this point they know what he's capable of 
And so they'll try to design a game plan around his strengths. And so I like them to keep it close. I hope NC State can pull off the win because, hey, we beat them, and that's that's looking like a high-quality win. I want them to keep winning. It's a, it's a damn shame Larry got hurt. Next game, Georgia Tech at Boston College, the team we just beat. BC, two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. I'm going to take BC. I think they bounce back from our game, and I think that the Georgia Tech pass defense has been more susceptible than the run defense, and we know that that's what BC does good. I'll take BC. I'm taking BC as well. I don't understand this line, which you know we said the line against last week stunk to yeah. high heaven. This one smells fishy as well, but I just don't see it. I'm picking BC. Yeah. Next game, UVA at Miami. UVA badly needing a win in this one. Miami, 11-point favorites at home. So Miami was, I think they opened at 10 versus Pitt, and then it moved to 13. We picked it. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember what we picked it at. Whatever we picked it at, I know I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think I picked Pitt to cover 10.5. They covered 13. They didn't cover 10 because I think they lost by 12. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to take Miami this week. I think that strength that they did show against Pitt, despite not covering the later spread, they're gonna they're gonna put a hurting on UVA. Miami, depending on when you get their spreads, they've covered every one but Clemson. They they've done a good job at putting up points this year. Yeah, I'm going with Miami as well. Next game, Notre Dame at Pitt. Pitt is ten and a half point underdogs at home. Notre Dame, what was going on in that Louisville game? I have no clue, but it's. This is Pitt and Notre Dame is just always in, yeah, interesting situation uh, given those those two programs. I, I, I want to say that you know having to hear about that ugly ugly game that Notre Dame put out there last week is going to have them come out riding pretty high and putting up points. I think I'm going to go that direction, but this is a this is a dangerous spot i feel like for for notre dame right here i think they are too talented to lose this game but it's not a good spot for them is this either a notre dame like riding the ship crushing of pit or a pit outright win like that that's kind of what i think yeah. it, it's it's one of the two it's not going to be in between yep. um i have pit circled but like i said last week and the week before i cannot pick a pit game right so i'm gonna take pit and we'll see what happens but like i i agree i have to go with my gut and my gut is notre dame hasn't been looking strong they can't quite get it right pit still has a solid defensive line and the best thing that notre dame does is rush the football so that would lean into the idea that pit can keep it close and cover but we'll see ian book just hasn't He's just still not developing. Yeah, it's yeah. he's missing Claypool. He's missing uh, who is it? Miles Boykin the year before. Like he's missing those weapons this year. Yep. Florida State at Louisville. Louisville, five point favorites. Uh, even though Florida State's coming off the big win against UNC, Florida State showing signs of life under Mike Norvell. Perhaps gonna still live up to my preseason thought that they might be okay this year. Uh, I think that might be aggressive. I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think they played a little bit out over their skis in uh, in that game. I'm gonna go Louisville and Satterfield. Um, 
and I think they're I think they're going to win by probably 10 points. Because as bad as Notre Dame played last week, you could give Satterfield and Louisville some credit. Yeah. You know that they they were able to keep that game close and FSU didn't score a single point in the second half. And if that game had gone any longer, <laughs> I feel like UNC would have pulled off the win. I will also take Louisville minus 5. So now we're going to go outside the ACC. I thought this game was interesting because it's the two teams that could end up winning the Big 12 this year. That's right. Iowa State at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State three and a half point favorites at home. This was a really hard pick for me. Do you want me to go first? I can go first. I'm going to take Iowa State. Things have been so fluky this year. It is a huge game for for that conference and, and what ends up happening there. I'm going to go Iowa State. That said, if Oklahoma State comes out and really makes a statement here, they're putting themselves in a really good spot uh, for the year. But I'm, I'm going to go with just more craziness around the college football landscape here and that Iowa State gets the win. Yeah, I hate the quarterback situation that's happened in Oklahoma State. It's, it's confusing. Like, why didn't Sanders play? Um, I also thought it was funny the other day. I realized that both – at least at the beginning of the season, both starting quarterbacks in Oklahoma were named Spencer. Uh, <laughs> but Sanders, he played week one for like a single drive, and then they've been hinting at him coming back, but he hasn't come back. I got to take Iowa State. I, they're Even on the road, they're that tough-minded team that I think can pull off the win, and if they don't get the win, they only need to keep it in within three to cover. So I'll take Iowa State. Michigan at Minnesota for our Big Ten pick. Minnesota, three-and-a-half-point underdogs at home after the historic season they had last year. How are you feeling about this one? It, the Big Ten, I haven't even – I've not thought much about it at all, but are you going to row the boat or what? The best I got to go off of here is – I think a Reddit uh, user was posting today about this game in the line. I think it was on Reddit and talking about how there's rumors that there's a pretty big COVID outbreak and it's only Tuesday, so we're picking these things way in advance. But it sounds like there might be a little bit of, of fire to that rumor. And so I'm going to go, despite what I actually believe, because I think if it, everybody was healthy, I think Minnesota would, would win this game. But I'm going to go Michigan. Yeah, I, I have Minnesota circled. I'm going to stick with it. I have not heard those rumors. I just feel like what... Why Michigan in a road game? You know, like and, and you're right. I don't know the extracurriculars, but to me, Minnesota has the better college coach right now. Like Harbaugh is he's a good coach. He's not a great coach. I think PJ Fleck is like perhaps legit a great coach. Mm-hmm. And so I'm gonna take him in this game. I think he's been prepping his team for this game four months and and even if they're without a few guys, I think they can still pull off the win. I was looking up to see who Ohio State is playing. Oh, it is Nebraska. And they are 26-point favorites. We're not picking it, but I think geez, that might even be low. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, so the last game we're going to pick, Group of Five, Cincinnati at SMU. I put this on the list because they're both undefeated. And Cincinnati, I think, has been been dragging a little bit in some of their wins SMU, on the other hand, I feel like has pulled out games I never would have expected them to this year. I'm going to take SMU. They are two and a half point favorites. 
I'll take them to cover that two and a half. I have SMU as well. Yeah, Cincinnati, I think they've had some COVID issues as well. I think there's been some people out. So there's there's a little bit of, you know, what's going on there. They had their last game was postponed, right? I think it may have been. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so... Yeah, I'll, I'll where be- do you think where do you think Cincinnati is in the AP poll right now? Do you know? Uh, aren't they like eighteen or something like that? Or they are number nine. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Cincinnati is in the top ten. Wow, number nine. That that's shocking. SMU is sixteen. Um, yeah, I, I think I think SMU is going to get the best of them. They are playing the game in Dallas, so. We'll see what happens, but it that's a that's a good that's a good group of five game. Yep. There's a bunch of I mean, obviously with the Big Ten coming back, there's a lot of good action. You got the ranked matchup in in Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and and, and Minnesota, Michigan, and that's why we put those two games on the list. But in the SEC, that that Ole Miss Auburn game, that's gonna be a little wild. Uh Illinois, Wisconsin, no, nothing there. I'm trying to see if there's anything else of interest on here. Alabama, Tennessee, that's going to be a thrashing. I feel <laughs> I feel like we saw the real Tennessee the last two weeks. Yeah, I think we did as well. And they just fired their defensive line coach this yeah. uh, just yesterday, I think it was. Uh, so. so here's a line that's curious. South Carolina going to LSU. The line is LSU minus seven. That doesn't make any sense. So. <laughs> South, South Carolina has been playing pretty pretty well. I mean, they have LSU is a dumpster fire right now. It, they're bad. It is. Yeah, they're honestly, they are bad at football. Not like, hey, they're having a bad season. Like, they are bad at football right now. It's, it's pretty incredible. And I know there's a lot of reasons for that. But, and then you have their coach talking all off season about how he thinks this team could be even better than the team that he had last year, which was stupid. Just the yeah. dumbest idea to say something like that, especially with everything going around, going on right now. I, I, I had really wished that we got to see the LSU Florida game last week. Cause Florida just had lost to Texas A&M and, you know, has their own problems and they were probably going to put the beat down on LSU. Yeah. I think LSU got lucky to get the week off to prep for South Carolina, which they're not as good as Florida, I don't think, but they're good and they have played very solid this year. Yeah. So um, we'll see. I, if they lose <laughs> and their defense gets torched again, I don't know if if Bo Pelini's going to last much longer <laughs> down there. No, he's Gus Malzahn and Bo Pelini right now should be fearing for their 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 lives. I think this is finally the year that's going to if this upcoming week Auburn. What happens, I think, is going to happen. I think Gus is Gus is done. Yeah, well, we'll see. Gus is always the coach that, when you doubt him the most, he ends up like, you know, beating Alabama or you know, pulling out a huge win against LSU or something. But we will we will see. That's going to do it for the podcast. I am I'm excited for the game this weekend. This, you know, the TV situation for this weekend's game has me a little. You know, I don't live in the DMV area, so I don't get the local feeds. I think the game's going to be on Masson oh, no. in DC because it's not on ACC Network, as far as I know. And so, like, it's on ESPN three, or it's like on 
the RSN affiliates, which if you go to the ACC website, it's like Masson, Yes Network, like a lot of random mm-hmm. networks. And I'm afraid that in Philadelphia's market, I'm not going to get it. But hopefully it will come through on ESPN3 and I can watch it on my phone or something. I don't know. Or have somebody set up like a, a Zoom for you to watch it off of something. <laughs> that would be nice. That would be nice. Now, I think if nothing else, my buddy Andrew has an ESPN Plus account and I think that could get it if it's not on ESPN3. And I don't really know what the difference between ESPN3 and ESPN Plus is anymore. I don't know either. I, well, one, you have to... <laughs> But you have to pay for no matter what, I think, is the plus. And then you get to watch curling and, and <laughs> fencing championships. Right, right. At a certain Cor- point. Cornhole yeah. <laughs> titles. There's been so much cornhole on lately. It's ridiculous. I, I'm always flipping through channels and there's like these cornhole tournaments. And I always just think to myself, there's a lot of sports. I like watching curling. I think it's like awesome. It's fun. There's a lot of weird sports. You are downright psychopath. If you are sitting there watching cornhole on TV, <laughs> cornhole championships. Yeah, you got to be either drunk or gambling on it or both. <laughs> well, think about this. Whenever you go to like somebody's barbecue and you're all sitting around chatting and having beers and two teams are playing... How long do you usually watch other people playing cornhole? You don't. You literally no. maybe have the attention span for 15 seconds and then you go walk and talk to other people and no nobody sits around watching people play cornhole. And now it's on now you're watching it on TV. Well, speaking of cornhole, did you see the the boards that I posted to my personal Instagram account? I did. Those are uh, we nice. Had, we had uh friends of ours like five or six friends go in together on a housewarming gift and we didn't we didn't know they were going to do this but they gave me and my wife two cornhole boards painted with a virginia tech hokey that you know the hokey bird on one and the jmu duke on the other and they were one excellent paint jobs like perfect like representations of the logo it would they're amazing and then they lacquered them like thick layers of lacquer on the wood so like they're protected they're gonna last forever and so i have these awesome two cornhole boards i'm not really that good at cornhole though i'm like, not it's I'm terrible it's, it's probably my third favorite tossing game yeah. like what's your favorite tossing game i like um redneck golf is one of my favorite i i like ladder golf yeah. is that what you're talking yeah. about yeah so i, I like probably just one. offended people by saying but that's what we always called it, <laughs> it was was redneck that's golf okay. uh, but uh i like that the funny thing is is i have two cornhole boards that my mom got us. She found somebody on Etsy or something to do one Ohio State and one Virginia Tech for us as oh, a nice. Christmas gift for me and my wife. And I hate them. And the reason being is the the Ohio State's done perfect with their, you know, scarlet and gray just to a T. The colors, both the orange and the maroon, are the wrong colors. Like, <laughs> like... Not even like they're not that bad, but is it too red? Yes, and it's too red, which and the the orange is just not right. It's uh, and I'm like, oh, this this just sucks. So if we ever play with them, the Ohio State ones look great, and mine look like to me in my eyes because we know the yeah, color yeah, palette yeah. so well that it, I'm like, this looks terrible. Don't tell my mom that. 
I don't, no, no. Good thing I, none I, of my I, family I, listens to this. The maroon is tough to nail sometimes, but but now our our house maroon that we're using, it's so close to purple that like I mean it is just like a, a fine line between our maroon quote unquote and purple. It's gotten uh, and darker. It used to be far more red within within the maroon than it is now. But that's besides the point. Favorite tossing game for me, Can Jam. Oh, yeah. That's love good. Can Jam. And I don't know if that technically counts because you're not tossing, you're throwing a Frisbee. But I love Can Jam. I love ladder golf. Uh, horseshoes is be- behind Cornhole. I would prefer Cornhole. Uh, and also no one plays Horseshoes anymore. I also like the game. I forget what it's called. Um, one of my favorites because usually everybody's really hammered by it, where you put the beer bottle on the stick and throw the Frisbee oh, at it. Um, yeah. It's called, what uh, the heck is that called? Uh, blanking on it uh but that is bottle frisbee <laughs> yeah no it's got like a um uh, so you have to knock the bottle off the stick yeah. and you have to try to catch the bottle right yeah you got to try and catch the bottle before it um it hits the hits the ground i'm looking it up right now but people are calling it all sorts of stuff but there's a name for it that i can't remember and we'll think of it at some point polish horseshoes well, so that's the- why i was uh, Polish, Polish horseshoes? Polish horseshoes. That seems offensive. <laughs> so, so far, we've been, we've done redneck golf and Polish Polish horseshoes. The last thing I'll say about cornhole, though, is that my buddy told me in college, the first time they played it, and he went to Villanova, there was a kid from Cincinnati who went to Villanova with him and was like, we're going to play cornhole. And I don't know about everyone else, but like in college, like we didn't play cornhole. So that was on the newer side of things when it wasn't it wasn't at family picnics when i was a kid or anything like that and apparently it was like an ohio thing hmm. so you're gonna have to ask your wife who the ohio native if it if cornhole was like a thing when she was a kid in ohio i will uh i will ask her all right well that's gonna do it we've rambled on quite a bit about tossing games but you can you can tweet at us with your favorite tossing games uh we also had a winner to our contest we put up i think it was lawrence galera we are going to send you some koozies. I He did DM me his address, so we'll be sending out those koozies soon. I haven't sent them yet, but they'll be coming soon. Uh, thanks for everyone that's that, that played. It was like 220 entries or something. It was insane. Um, but yeah, I guess people love free stuff, so there you go. Yep, that's, uh, that's right. <laughs> Make sure to hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, 2DVT at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, uh, want to send us beer, want to sponsor us, any of that kind of stuff, you can email us and then 2DVT on Instagram. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, rate, review. Uh, we really appreciate any any reviews we get. And until next time, when hopefully we've run for 400 yards. That's the goal. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.